Let's take our Bibles to Matthew 13. Now, Matthew recorded five of Jesus' sermons, and chapter 13 contains the third. The first two sermons were addressed to kingdom citizens and servants. However, the third sermon, recorded in Matthew 13, does not address individuals in the kingdom. Instead, it addresses questions about the kingdom itself. Questions about the kingdom were being raised in light of the religious leaders' rejection of the Messiah back in Matthew chapter 12. Specifically, what will happen to the kingdom now that the king has been rejected? In light of that question, Jesus presents the sermon about the kingdom in Matthew 13. The sermon about the kingdom, Matthew 13. Now this sermon is unique from the first two because Jesus employs a completely different preaching style. This time he employs parables to reveal the mysteries about the kingdom. These mysteries have been hidden since the foundation of the world, Matthew 13, 35. Jesus now reveals truths about the kingdom that were never made known in the Hebrew scriptures. As Paul explained in Colossians 1, 26, the mystery which had been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been made manifested to his saints. Now, while it appeared to the disciples that the kingdom was, at the least, postponed, Jesus reveals that the kingdom is not postponed. It is simply advancing in a different form. The establishment of the physical aspect of God's kingdom on earth has been temporarily delayed until his return. However, the spiritual aspect of God's kingdom is still ongoing. Though physically absent, King Jesus is still reigning over the citizen servants of the kingdom. As Jesus uncovers the mysteries of the kingdom, he will reveal the kingdom's present form. In Matthew 13, 1-3, 10-15, and 34-35, two facts about the mysteries of the kingdom will be established. First, Jesus states that the kingdom mysteries are revealed in parables. And second, he states that kingdom mysteries were hidden from the prophets. So let's begin with Matthew chapter 13, verses 1-3a, to 10-15, and 34-35. to And we're going to see here that kingdom mysteries are revealed in parables. Matthew 13, 1 to 3a, 10 to 15, 34 to 35. Let's begin reading verse 1. Matthew 13. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their lips they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would have seen with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So kingdom mysteries are revealed in parables, according to Matthew 13, 1 to 3a, 10 to 15, 34 to 35. Now, preceding the recording of the actual sermon, Matthew makes a vital note of some background information. First, Matthew notes the day Jesus presented the sermon about the kingdom. He says in verse 1, that day Jesus went out of that house. That day is unique for two reasons. First, on that day, Jesus was rejected by the religious. In Matthew 12, 24, the Pharisees rejected Jesus, saying, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. And second, on that day, Jesus was rejected by his relatives. In response to their rejection, Jesus pointed to his disciples and said in Matthew 12, 48 to 50, Behold my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. The rejection from the religious, the rulers, and the relatives, which Jesus foretold in his second recorded sermon, has begun. Second, Matthew notes where Jesus was located. He says again in verse 1, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Now, at this point in Jesus' Galilean ministry, he stayed in Capernaum. Matthew 4.13 states, Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, while in Capernaum, Jesus stayed at the house of Peter, where he performed several miracles, according to Mark 1.29-34 and Luke 5.18-20. Now, Jesus leaves Peter's house, goes down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And the purpose of the venue change is stated in verse 2. Large crowds gather to him. Third, Matthew notes the posture of Jesus and the people. He states in verse 2, Jesus got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. Jesus sat down to deliver his message, underscoring his role as a rabbi. While Jesus sat, notice the crowd stood. Now, culturally, standing was a sign of respect to the teacher and honor for the scriptures. Fourth, Matthew records how Jesus preached. He says in verse 3, Jesus spoke many things to them in parables. Now, parables were a prevalent teaching style or method in Judaism. Parable, from the Greek term parabole, translates the Hebrew term mashal, referring to a proverb, riddle, dark saying, or secret, illustration, or similitude, i.e. contrast. The Hebrew name for the book of Proverbs is Mishlei, which is a derivative of Mashal. Hence, Proverbs is a book of parables. Now, parables are usually defined as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. This definition, however, is not sufficient for understanding the parables of Jesus. A parable typically has two degrees of meaning, a literal meaning and a figurative meaning. And these two parts are used to communicate religious or ethical truths. Scripturally speaking, the purpose of parables is to focus on God, his kingdom, and his will. As such, Jesus used parables in 35% of his recorded teachings in the Gospels. In all, there are 41 parables spoken by Jesus recorded in the Gospels. We have the lamp under a bowl, the new cloth 
on an old coat, new wine and old wineskins, the houses on sand and rock, the moneylender, the sower and soils, the wheat and tares, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl, the dragnet, the steward, the good Samaritan, the friend in need, the rich fool, the watchful servants, the faithful servants, the unfruitful tree, the growing seed, the best places at a wedding banquet, the great banquet and reluctant guest, the cost of discipleship, the lost sheep, the unmerciful servant, the lost coin, the lost son, the shrewd manager, the master and servant, the persistent widow, the Pharisee and tax collector, the pounds, the workers in the vineyard, the two sons, the tenants, the wedding banquet and garment, the workers in the vineyard, the fig tree, the ten virgins, the talent, and the sheep and goats. Now, when we look at all of the all 41 of those parables, we see that parables have four characteristics. Number one, parables are concise. Any unnecessary details are omitted from a parable. Number two, the illustrative aspect of the parable is drawn from earthly life, and any metaphors used should be understood according to their cultural usage. For example, metaphors of vineyards used by Jesus stirred up thoughts of vineyard metaphors previously used in the Old Testament. Three, parables use hyperbole or exaggeration to make a point. For example, in the parable of the servant owing $10 million, it's an exaggeration because $10 million was an unlikely sum at that time. And number four, parables require the hearer to judge the events of the narrative, which will cause them to judge an event in their life. For example, Nathan's parable to David regarding the rich man stealing the poor man's lamb is an excellent example. Now, in order to interpret parables, I want to give you five guidelines. Five guidelines to follow when interpreting parables. And again, we're, setting, we're establishing this information now because we're going to spend the next several weeks going through the parables of Matthew chapter 13. So, five guidelines to follow when interpreting parables. Number one, the words and phrases in a parable must be thoroughly analyzed. Number two, the parable must be read from the perspective of the original writer and readers, not the perspective of the modern reader. Number three, the parable must be interpreted in its original context. Number four, the parable must conform to the teaching of the whole scripture. And number five, Determine how the parable reveals God's kingdom, his dealings with humanity, or his expectations for his people. And when we follow these guidelines, we will very easily discover the plain sense of the parable. Now, though familiar with the rabbinic style of preaching or teaching with parables, notice in verse 3, or excuse me, verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus responds in verse 11, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. In other words, Jesus taught in parables to reveal mysteries or hidden divine truths to his disciples, while at the same time prohibiting those who rejected him from understanding those same truths. Now, Matthew adds a third reason why Jesus taught in parables, and that is to fulfill the scriptures. He explains in Matthew 13, 34 to 35, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And here's the quote. 
I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Now Matthew is quoting Psalm 78 verse 2, a psalm written by Asaph. Surely Asaph did not know that his song was prophetic. Nonetheless, Matthew, employing remez, a rabbinic form of interpretation, refers to Asaph as a prophet and applies his statement in Psalm 78.2 to the current situation here in Matthew 13. Applying Psalm 78.2 was appropriate as it explains that these mysteries that Jesus is going to give us in parable form have been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now regarding these mysteries or mysterion, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Again, in Colossians 1.26, Paul says, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. Now, from Paul's statements, several truths can be set forth. One, the mysteries contain God's wisdom. Two, God set down these mysteries before he created the world. And three, God has hidden these mysteries from people including those in authority. Now, what exactly are these mysteries? Mysteries, mysterion, are open, sacred secrets. A mystery is opened or explained to those whom God deems to reveal them. A mystery is sacred because it contains the information about God, His kingdom, and His will. A mystery is a secret to those who do not know God because they are spiritually blind. In total, there are 14 mysteries contained in the Scripture, one in the Old Testament and 13 in the New. We have in Daniel 2, 17-47, the mystery of the great image. In Matthew 13, we have the mystery of the kingdom of God. Romans eleven twenty five, the mystery of the restoration of Israel. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-55, the mystery of the rapture and resurrections. Ephesians 1, 9, the mystery of God's will. Ephesians 3, 4, Colossians 4, 3, the mystery of the Christ. Ephesians 5, 32, the mystery of the church. Ephesians 6, 19, the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 2, 2 and Revelation 10, 7, the mystery of God. Colossians 2, 7, the mystery of the indwelling Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3-8, the mystery of iniquity. 1 Timothy 3.16, the mystery of godliness, or the mystery of the incarnation. Revelation 1.20, the mystery of the seven stars. And Revelation 17.5, the mystery of Babylon the Great. So here in Matthew 13, Jesus uses eight parables to reveal one specific set of mysteries. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. You may recall, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven some 32 times, while the other gospel accounts use the kingdom of God. Because Matthew's original readers were Jewish, he reflects the Jewish practice of substituting the term heaven in place of God, as Jews would not dare speak God's name. Now, another question. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is the sphere of God's eternal rule. 
However, his kingdom exists in several manifestations. First, the kingdom of God is universal. It includes all things in the created realm. As David declares in Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. You see, Yahweh currently reigns over his kingdom from the third heaven. His kingdom is also eternal. As Daniel pronounces in Daniel 4.3, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. The kingdom of God is universal. Second, the kingdom of God is physical. Daniel prophesied in Daniel 2.44, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Now, God's plan is for the physical aspect of his kingdom to be established on earth. Because Israel rejected the Messiah, the physical aspect of the kingdom is placed on hold. However, when Jesus returns after the tribulation period, he will physically establish God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God is physical. Third, the kingdom of God is spiritual. Jesus says in John eighteen thirty six, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Entrance into the spiritual aspect of God's kingdom comes by way of repenting and believing in the gospel. Only those who have repented of their sin and have believed the gospel are part of the spiritual kingdom. Only those who are part of the spiritual kingdom will inherit the physical kingdom as Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the disciples at this point do not fully grasp or understand their physical aspect of the kingdom. They're expecting the Messiah to establish the physical kingdom on earth now. However, with the rejection of the Messiah by the religious leaders, the physical offer was withdrawn. Later, Jesus reveals in Matthew 21, 43, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. Now that people, ethnos, nation, has a twofold reference. That people refers to the church, an amalgamation of Jews and Gentiles. The creation of the church and its part in the spiritual aspect of God's kingdom is known as the mystery of Christ. Paul explains in Ephesians 3, 4-6, The mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific, now here is what the mystery of Christ is, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, God promised in the Abrahamic covenant that all Gentiles would be blessed through Abraham's seed. That seed is the Messiah. And though Israel refused the offer of the kingdom, Jesus still blessed the rest of the world. Paul reveals in Romans 11, 11, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. 
You see, the message to repent and believe the gospel has been sent into the world. And in doing so, Jesus created a new people called the church. Alluding to several Hebrew scriptures, Peter refers to the church in 1 Peter 2.9 as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, ethnos, a people for God's own possession. See, Jesus is the mediator of the new threshold covenant, or the new marriage covenant, prophesied in Jeremiah 33. Because of that, the church, you and I, enjoy the spiritual blessings of the kingdom. Specifically, those blessings are revealed in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Yahweh says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Friend, I want you to listen carefully. If you do not have a new heart, if you do not possess the Holy Spirit, if you do not possess a desire to obey God's law, you are not a part of the church. You can attend a church, but you're not the church. You're not in the body of Christ. To lack these blessings of the new covenant means that you are still dead in trespasses and sin. And so I would say it would do everyone good to examine themselves. Do you have a new heart, new desires? Do you possess the Holy Spirit? Do you possess a desire to obey God's law? So that people refers to the church. However, that people or nation also refers to a future national Israel that will be comprised of redeemed and regenerated Jewish people. See, God did not disavow Israel because of her rejection. Nor did the creation of the church replace Israel. Listen as Paul explains in Romans 11, 1 to 2. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. You see, friends, instead of rejecting Israel, God blesses the Gentiles. By gifting the spiritual blessings of the kingdom upon the Gentiles, God uses them to make Israel jealous. Romans 11, 11. And by making Israel jealous, they will repent and believe the gospel and in turn enter into the spiritual aspect of the kingdom and receive its blessings. Paul goes on to further explain in Romans 11 that God's kingdom is a cultivated olive tree of which Israel is the branches. However, because of their unbelief and rejection, they were broken off. Paul says, though, in Romans eleven seventeen and 19 and 20, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. So to recap, because of Israel's unbelief, they were cut off, and Gentiles 
referred to as the branches of a wild olive tree, were grafted into the spiritual aspect of God's kingdom called here the cultivated olive tree. Paul explains that those cut-off branches, Israel, will be grafted back into the cultivated olive tree. Listen to Romans 11, 23-24. They also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? You see, in the future, specifically during the tribulation period, Israel will repent and believe the gospel and Jesus the Messiah will graft them back into his father's cultivated olive tree. This revelation of Israel's future redemption is difficult for many to believe or understand. Sadly, many claiming to be Christians hold to replacement theology. Now, what is replacement theology? The idea that God has replaced Israel with the church. Such an idea is heretical and a denial of Scripture. Now, Paul says in Romans eleven twenty-five to 26, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. This truth about Israel's future redemption, regeneration, and restoration is a mystery, a sacred secret that is opened only to those who are truly redeemed and regenerated. So many of these supposed Christian and churches that have embraced replacement theology have done so because they're not truly saved, they do not possess the Holy Spirit, and therefore cannot understand the mystery of the redemption and restoration of Israel. Remember, Jesus' purpose for teaching in parables is to reveal divine truths to his disciples and to prohibit those who rejected him from understanding those same truths. One is prevented from understanding the parable because they are unregenerate and spiritually undiscerning. Nebuchadnezzar is an example of someone who received a mystery but could not understand it. Daniel 2, 3 and 17 to 19 records this. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the great image was a parable that conveyed the sacred secret regarding the future of the world's kingdoms. Because Nebuchadnezzar was unregenerate and spiritually undiscerning, he could not understand the image's meaning. It was a mystery to him. Daniel, however, regenerated and spiritually discerning, could explain the mystery of the future world's kingdoms. The unregenerate received no understanding of these things, while the meaning of the mysteries are revealed to the regenerated. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 12. Jesus elaborates in verse 12, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. 
But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Now let me be clear. The English translation of this verse in the NASB, while literal, is a bit wooden and ambiguous. The New Living Translation better renders this verse this way. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Whoever has are those who have listened to Jesus' teaching. As a result, they've received him as Savior and Lord. And Jesus graciously blesses us as the regenerate with those sacred secrets withheld from humanity since creation. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 2.10, For to us, how blessed are we? For to us God revealed these mysteries through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. As you and I grow spiritually, the Holy Spirit illuminates us to understand the sacred secrets in Scripture. However, whoever does not have the, are those who have not listened to Jesus, but rejected him. And not only will Jesus withhold those sacred secrets from those who reject him, but what he has shall be taken away from him. In other words, the gospel message will be taken from them. They will come to a place, the unregenerate will come to a place where they no longer have the opportunity to repent of their sin and believe the gospel. Friends, make no mistake, rejection of Jesus results in judicial rejection. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 33, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Let's go to verse 13. Here Jesus explains why he is using parables with the unregenerate. He says, Because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In other words, the unregenerate are spiritually blind and deaf. Though they can physically see and physically hear, they have no ability to understand or perceive spiritual truths. And the inability of the unregenerate to grasp spiritual truth should come as no surprise. Indeed, Jesus explains in verse 14 that their lack of spiritual acumen demonstrates that the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. The specific prophecy referred to is found in Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Now, before his statement became prophetic, Isaiah was describing Israel's failure to respond to his message. Friends, what was true in Isaiah's day was true in Jesus' day and continues, sadly, to be true in our day, the present day. People continue hearing and reading God's word, but do not comprehend it. And you want to know why? The reason they do not comprehend God's word is not because God's word is too difficult for them to understand. Actually, it is due to a problem on their part. As Isaiah says, their ears, they scarcely hear, 
and they have closed their eyes. In other words, people do not comprehend the scriptures because they intentionally close their eyes and ears to what God says and does. Now I pray that doesn't describe you. You see, Isaiah goes on to say, the heart of this people has become dull. The verb dull, pakuno, means to become thick or fat. A thickened heart muscle has difficulty pumping blood. A fatty heart increases the risk of heart failure. In other words, they suffered from spiritual heart disease, a condition known as hardness of the heart, which is deliberate refusal to respond to God despite what one hears or sees. The Pharaoh of Egypt in the days of the Exodus is an excellent example of heart-heartedness. Yahweh commanded Moses to deliver a message to Pharaoh regarding Israel. That message was authenticated by various signs and plagues. Despite what Pharaoh heard from God via Moses and what he saw in the plagues, on three different occasions, Scripture records that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 8.15, Exodus 8.32, Exodus 9.34. Proverbs 28.14 warns, He who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Pharaoh refused to hear God's word and refused to see God's work. And as a result, Egypt suffered horrific losses agriculturally and economically as well in the loss of animal and human life. My friends, listen. Beware of hardness of the heart. Beware of ignoring God's word and works. God will imprison those suffering from spiritual heart disease in their unbelief to await the future day of judgment. So kingdom mysteries are revealed in the parables. Secondly, kingdom mysteries were hidden from the prophets. Let's look at Matthew 13, 16 and 17. Matthew 13, 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Again, kingdom mysteries were hidden from the prophets. Now in contrast to those who reject Jesus and his message, those who receive him are blessed. The Greek term, akirios, translated as blessed, renders the Hebrew term, eshir. By understanding this Hebrew word, the translator, you and I, will understand the meaning of blessed. It is to have joy as a result of possessing God's favor. In Matthew 13, 16, Jesus says, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. This is undoubtedly an allusion to Proverbs 3, 13. How blessed, Asher, is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. You see, my friend, if you possess God's wisdom as contained in his mysteries and understand those sacred secrets, you are blessed or joyful. God's favor rests upon you because you have spiritual eyes and ears that see, hear, perceive, and understand the mysteries or sacred secrets of Scripture. Now, what are wisdom and understanding? Wisdom is accumulated knowledge, and understanding is the comprehension of knowledge. God's wisdom is concealed in the mysteries that the unregenerate do not understand nor comprehend. Recall Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, 8. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, 
which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Just as the Lord Jesus opened the disciples' minds to understand the scriptures, Luke 24, 45, so the Holy Spirit continues to open our minds to understand the mysteries or deep things of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10, for to us, you and I, God revealed the mysteries through the Spirit. Now, we need to underscore here that you have to desire to understand. The Holy Spirit is not going to force wisdom upon you. Believers, let's follow the example of Ezra. In Psalm 119 and verse 18, Israel, or excuse me, Ezra prayed, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. That ought to be my prayer. That should be your prayer. Lord, open our eyes. Open our ears. You see, this state of blessing or joyfulness possessed by kingdom citizens, you and I, is contrasted with the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus says, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Those prophets faithfully proclaimed God's word despite rejection, deprivation, imprisonment, and even death. The righteous men faithfully obeyed God. Yet despite their faithfulness and desire to see and hear the mysteries, these individuals are not given an understanding of the mysteries revealed to us by Jesus and the apostles. Jesus speaks in parables not to confuse us, but to reveal certain mysteries, certain sacred secrets hidden from humanity from before creation. God choosing to reveal these mysteries to us, to the church, should excite us. In particular, the mysteries of the kingdom are going to explain the present form of the kingdom, the role of the church in the kingdom, our role, the future place of the church, Israel, and even the Gentiles. Let me give you a quick overview of the mystery of the kingdom. We have the beginning of the kingdom. We call it planting. We have the sower in the soils and the wheat in the tares. Then we'll move on to the opposition to the kingdom. But this will be a period of growth. The mustard seed and the leaven. Then we'll see the people of the kingdom. We'll call this value. The hidden treasure which is Israel. And the costly pearl which is the church. And then we'll see the judgments of the kingdom and we'll call this responsibility. And we'll see the dragnet and the steward. Friends, there is no reason for any believer, any one of you, to complain that scripture is unknowable or above your pay grade. That is sheer laziness. Are there difficult scriptures? Absolutely there are. But Jesus has promised to reveal these things to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, to guide and teach us the word of truth. You see, again, the problem is not the scriptures. It's with your attitude regarding the scriptures. And so I challenge you, do not refuse to see or hear what God's word says. Beware of grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit because that will hinder his ministry of illumination. Pray to God. Ask God for open eyes, open ears. Pray to God for a mind willing to learn and a heart ready to respond to what he says. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you through Jesus, the revealer of hidden mysteries. You are the source of wisdom, source of knowledge, and source of understanding. 
And I praise you for revealing your hidden wisdom to us. I praise you for allowing us to enjoy the blessings of the new covenant. I praise you for grafting us into the olive tree. I praise you for making us part of your kingdom. But as well, Father, I pray that you'd forgive us of failing to live like kingdom citizens and servants. Forgive us for squandering these mysteries. Forgive us for being too lazy to study them in order to know you and your will. I pray that you would grant us a renewed desire for the deep things, the deep things that belong to you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us into truth. Thank you that he illuminates that truth for us. I ask that you might keep us from anything and anyone that would distract us from your word. May our lives declare your glory to this world, and may all praise be given to you. And we say, Amen.